The AAPA conference is coming up May 18th through 22nd in Houston. I'm so sad that I will not be there, but some of my favorite people will be. So I want to make sure that y'all know who to look out for. So if you're heading down to the conference, make sure you go by the Blueprint and Rosh Review table. They're giving away all kinds of stuff stethoscopes, seats in the review course. They're talking about how Rosh Review has joined Blueprint and what that looks like. But definitely go stop by, say hi, get some swag, tell them I said hello, uh, and it'll be a really good time. I'm sure y'all will have an awesome time in Houston. Make sure you go to Torchy's Tacos, my absolute favorite, and spend some time in the exhibit hall exploring we know that I love Rosh Review um, by Blueprint, and they have so many great resources. So whether you're looking for QBanks, pants review courses, now is the time. And usually there's some special stuff, so go check it out. Hello, everyone. Today I'm speaking to a new grad PA who has a very interesting story and has volunteered to share how she kind of got overwhelmed by PA school and decelerated in her program to still finish successfully. But you'll hear from Taylor in just a second. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. Hello, I hope everyone is surviving this crazy corona covid stuff um it seems like everything changes day by day and definitely week by week don't really ever know what's coming so um it is just a very wild time especially to be in medicine right now we're not gonna dwell on that too much because i know y'all are hearing from it everywhere i mean i feel like i can't open social media or turn on the tv or internet without hearing all about it. So we're going to talk about other things today. Um, I'm Savannah, by the way. I'm a dermatology PA. I'm also, um, I don't know what to call myself, the founder of the PA platform, which is a blog for pre-PAs. I've also recently gotten on TikTok. If anyone's a big TikToker, it is so much fun. And if you're not, you should because it's so much fun. And for whatever reason, I'm Savannah.Perry on there. But if you want to find me, I would love to um, let you laugh at my ridiculous videos <laughs> and follow you back. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously quarantine has made me even stranger, but before we jump into today's interview, I do want to mention our sponsors. The number one sponsor being my PA resource, which is a personal statement editing service. Caspa is opening soon in about a month, I guess less than a month now. So that means it's time. You know, if you've got some extra time on your hands, you should be working on your essay. That's a great thing to do right now. My PA resource only uses physician assistants to edit the essays for PA school. And I am one of the editors. You can use the code FUTUREPA for a discount on their services. And then once you get accepted to PA school, if you're looking for something to kind of refresh your knowledge, check out PA School Prep, which has a review in anatomy, physiology, and med terms. Again, you can use the code FUTUREPA for anything there, as well as on the PA platform website. Um, one thing I need to mention about the PA platform, um, so we have a book. I don't know if anyone knows about this. It's called the PA School Interview Guide. Um, I did that a couple of years ago, and um, it was kind of a, a, a cum, what do you say, accumulation of um, all of my interview tips and we go kind of question by question. But anyway, so that is available on the website. 
if you go to the paplatform.com slash book due to Amazon increasing prices, because that's who I publish through and shipping prices increasing, that book will be going up in price just by a couple of dollars within the next couple of weeks. So if that's something you were planning on getting for this cycle, I just want to give you a heads up um, to go ahead and get it. And you can use that code FuturePA on the PA platform website. It's also available on Amazon with prime shipping. Um, and those links will be in the description. Um, but yeah, just be on the lookout for that. And so now we'll jump into hearing from Taylor. So Taylor um, agreed to do, well, she actually reached out to me, I think, to do this interview. And um, she has an interesting story because I feel like we all deal with anxiety throughout the process of becoming a PA, um, but we don't ever really touch on what happens once you get to PA school when it's even harder and there's even more going on. So she's sharing her story of how she was able to kind of adjust, realize where she was struggling and make some corrections to successfully complete PA school. And I think you're really going to enjoy this and this is something we've had requests for lately. All right, we'll jump in and I will talk to you guys later. Okay. Um, my name is Taylor Anderson. I went to PA school at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis. Um, I did my clinical rotations in Nashville. I graduated in December, took my pants in December and passed. And so now I'm PA, but um, <laughs> I'm from Southern California and I went to Emory for undergrad and I graduated in 2009 with a degree in film. I was a publicist for five years in LA and then for a year in Chicago and then realized that I didn't really want to be a publicist. I was good at it, but I didn't like doing it. So I ended up flying home. My parents are both in medicine, my dad's physician, and uh, had lunch with my dad. And he was like, you could do anything in the world. Don't think about school, time, money, et cetera. What would it be? And I said, well, it's always been medicine. I wanted to be a doctor since I was like five, but thought I wasn't smart enough because I was a high-level gymnast. So I was doing a lot of gymnastics outside of school and science didn't come naturally. And he was like, oh, well, if that's what you want to do, let's do it. And so I was in my like late 20s at that time, like mid to late 20s at that time. So um, I ended up uh, 100% being like, okay, well, PA school is the thing. I wanted to be able to not wait until I was 40 to be able to practice medicine. So um, I think that weekend I was like printing out information about PA programs in Chicago and uh I had enrolled in my first two of nine prereqs I had to take because I only took one science in undergrad and it was meteorology. Not too helpful for PA school. Whoops. Okay, so there's a lot to kind of unpack there. And you've been all yeah. over the place, which is awesome. Okay, yes. so, um, so it sounds like the career change for you wasn't, wasn't a big deal because you were moving into something you really wanted to do. But was that scary at all to leave a oh, stable job? Yeah. and? Yeah, it was definitely scary, especially I'd been out of school for like uh, five or six years since I'd been an undergrad. So, I mean, just going back to having to learn to study. Um, I remember being in like my like chem one that I had to take and having to have the professor show me how to use a TI-83 again. Because like I hadn't used one since my sophomore year of high school, which was like 2002. So it's like fast forward and it's 2015 and I'm asking how to use a calculator. So um, kind of just having to get back into that student mindset and having to just remember things that I have learned so many years ago, especially even preparing for the GRE, where I was like, okay, I'm learning this geometry stuff that I learned when I was 14 and I'm 27. Like, I don't remember any of this stuff now. It's a big, big refresher. 
Yeah. And then I mean, also going to, from not having a job too, because it was pretty hard for me to find, um, clinical experience opportunities when I had really no background. So, and I mean, I was lucky in that I was a pretty frequent flyer at my, uh, PT place. So they were able to hire me as a rehab assistant for a bit. And then, um, after I applied to PA school, my first round in 2015, I didn't get accepted anywhere. Um, but I, decided to be a CNA. And once I was able to be a CNA, then I was able to get that more. And I did a six to eight week volunteer stint in Africa, um, working in a local hospital in Tanzania. And I think all of those things kind of like bumped me up a little bit in terms of getting the patient care stuff. Okay. Do you think the patient care is what held you back from getting accepted the first time? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Because my grades were really good. I was one, I realized once I and just focusing on science classes, I can handle the science classes. Um, so I was doing really well in those classes and my GPA was good. It was just that I was lacking on the patient experience hour, patient care hours. And um, then also going to Africa gave me a much better framework for my uh, personal statement. And I think that kind of helped me get in the door a little bit. I talked to someone who, I don't even remember what company it was, um, someone who was just talking to me about what I should have my essay be about. And I kind of just pitched him my first two days in Africa. And he was like, that's your essay. He's like, they're going to read that. And they're going to say, I want to meet that girl. It's going to make you like stand apart from everyone. And I, I think that that really did help because there were schools where I didn't even get an interview the first time around. And I got many more interviews the second time. That's awesome. So what did that application process look like as far as how many schools you applied to, how you chose those schools? The first time around, I applied to like 10, I think. Um, And the second time around, I had a list of like 25. I had a really extensive Google Doc, or not Google Doc, um, an Excel Doc that had each school, where it was located, what was required of me. So like what prereqs, what essays, um, what dates everything was due by. And then I would add in when I completed each thing and then what day it was received, what day I got a response back saying I was verified, what day I got interview decision, whether it was positive or negative and same with what day I did interview and then acceptance or being, uh, declined. But so keeping that organization was helpful, especially the second time around when I had a lot of schools. But um, I basically went through like the CASPA like map, I guess, yeah. and found any city that I'd be willing to live in for two to three years, any place that wasn't too far away from an airport. So I, I capped it at kind of an hour away from an airport and um, any place that took community college credits. Because I know that there were some schools, I think Tufts is one that didn't. And then schools that I didn't meet the prereqs. There were a few in Chicago that had weird ones like college algebra. And I was like, I'm not going back and taking college algebra or like USC that has three years of uh, college level Spanish. And I took Italian in college. So that did not help me. So kind of just filtering it down by that, where, where I'd be willing to live, who would actually accept what I have done and what additional steps I had to take. Okay. So in the interview process, did your background as a publicist come up? Like, was that seen as a benefit or like, were they questioning your motives for changing careers? No, I think that it it was a benefit. I think people are a lot more open to non-traditional students now than they have been in the past. And I think it really shows, especially when you're older, that 
you're really committed to this and you really want to do it. And I'm not just doing it because my parents told me to, because I started undergrad pre-med and decided not to go to med school or something like that. Um, this is definitely a decision that I made and I was willing to take the pay cut, take the extra money I had to shell out to go to community college and things like that. Um, I think it made it seem like I was a lot more serious about it. And I think they also appreciated the maturity that I had um, in terms of having worked in an actual like office setting where, especially in PR, where it's, it's very team-based. So it's very similar to how it is when you're a PA, um, having everything be very collaborative and stuff like that. Um, I honestly think that people were a lot more excited about my Africa stuff. Like that ended up being <laughs> yeah. a lot more of a discussion. But I mean, honestly, in my UT interview, the first thing that I was asked before I even sat down was, why would you ever move from Southern California to Chicago? And my response verbatim was, um, ask me a better question. That's really the first question you're going to ask me. And um, my the head of admissions, I told his wife this after the end of my didactic year. And she was like, oh, that 100% was when you were accepted, like within that first sentence. And I was like, I mean, they were looking for fit at this point. So I mean, yeah. they saw my personality. So I guess being like just myself was helpful, not being canned dancers, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, just talking like you normally would. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Um, how many schools did you end up interviewing at and how many did you get accepted to? Oh, uh, <laughs> you can like, I can't estimate. even remember. I mean, the first time around, I know I interviewed at two and I was actually, you know, uh, maybe three, I think I interviewed at two or three and I was waitlisted at one. And then the second time around I did an interview in Chicago. I did my UT interview. Um, I interviewed Penn state and then Actually, when I was at my Penn State interview, on my actually in the Uber on the way to my Penn State interview, I found out that I got to UTHSC. So I was like, oh, great. This is the best way to go into an interview because I was literally getting dropped <laughs> no off at the airport. And I was like, this is no pressure. This is amazing. Um, and then when I came out of my Penn State interview, I had probably like five or six interview offers. And a lot of them I declined just based on timing. Um, I interviewed at UT in late October. This is before they went to... Um, just like one standard time frame for when they accept uh, applications and when they do interviews. When I applied, it was rolling. And mm -hmm. so I, I was the last interview slot at UTHSC and I found out in like late October and I got a lot of interview opportunities for mid to late December. And I didn't feel comfortable taking those and foregoing an acceptance. So I ended up declining all of my interviews after that. And so I think I got about five after that. So I think I got like I think I also got some interview offers once I already started PA school. So you, you so, got accepted in October and started in January? Yeah. Okay, cool. That's what – so the January start dates mess up a lot of people because sometimes you apply like a year and a half ahead and sometimes it's yeah, like exactly. that where you start right away. Um, so you kind of had to like pick up, move to Memphis, get ready. Yeah. Yeah, it was like very fast. I think that I told the nursing home that I was working at like – a week later, I was like, okay, I have to get my two weeks now. And right away was flying to Memphis to go look at apartments and stuff so that I could do it all before the holidays. Those holidays really get you. Yeah, oh, for sure. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, so tell us, give us a little breakdown of what happened once you started PA school. What'd that look like? Okay. <laughs> so um, when I started PA school, I was very overwhelmed from the get-go. Um, I, 
I was told I would be in advance. Our orientation day was kind of, we were told that uh, classic trope of it's going to be like drinking water from a fire hose. And it very much was the case for me for in that sense, especially in um, my more conceptual science classes like Fizz and Farm and specifically Fizz. Um, I'm one of those people where I'm very linear. So my clinical medicine classes were a lot easier for me because it's like, okay, symptom, diagnostics, results, treatment, boom, like step, step, step. Okay. I'm able to do that. But things where it was kind of bigger picture or things that I couldn't really just understand it on a more base, not basic, but on a more like practical level, that was definitely more difficult for me. So, um, his specifically was where this was an issue. And, um, it was very frustrating on my end, on my professor's end, on faculty's end, on my tutor's end, um, because I was doing everything they asked of me and more. I was studying a ton. I was foregoing sleep, food, workouts, personal life. Um, I was doing outside tutoring as a group. I was doing, I was paying for tutoring on my own. I was asking for help from my professors. And I was, what was most frustrating was I was able to verbalize every concept. So everyone was very confident in how I was going to do when I took a test. And then I would take an exam and I'd fail. And I never really failed at anything in my life. I was really shocked that this was the case. I'm a super type A former competitive gymnast. Like, I mean, failure is not really a thing in my vocabulary, but, um, I was failing my exams. And a lot of it was that I was having issues with how much time I had for tests. I was having issues with being able to see people get up and be done and getting extremely anxious and wasting a lot of time being anxious. And, um, I mean, I was able to do verbal remediations and I was able to explain everything. And the professors and my program director were like, okay, well, if this had been the exam, you would have been getting a B, you wouldn't have been failing. And so that was just a really frustrating place to be. And I kind of just barely ended up passing fizz. And at that point it was spring break. And I just so emotionally, mentally, um, physically just kind of down that I was kind of in this hole that I couldn't really climb out of. And we were going into anatomy. And at UTHSC, it's cadaver lab too. So it was about like four to five hours, three days a week. And I was already kind of in this like low place where I wasn't running at my optimum level. And so I didn't pass a single practical exam, partially because we had two minutes per tag on cadavers. And I spent 90 seconds of that freaking out and panicking and not even being able to really answer most of the time. So, um, leading into my last anatomy test, it was, we had a, a break for Memorial day, right? Like two weeks before, uh, my first semester was going to end and our anatomy professor who did everything through the college of medicine, because that's what the PA programs in at UT, um, told me that mathematically there was no way that I was going to be able to pass the course and there was no way that I'd be able to go on to second semester. I didn't even know that was a thing. I honestly didn't, I'd never heard of deceleration, didn't know it was an option. No one had mentioned it to me. I thought, oh, well, my faculty would have brought this up if it was a concern. No one did. Um, 
And so I like ran to our PA building and was hysterically crying in the faculty offices and um, was talking to my program director about it. He was also my advisor. And um, we were in the process of kind of figuring out if I could, if we could fight to get the one extra point I would have needed to have passed anatomy. But you need a 3-0 to be able to go into clinical year. And he was saying that just he didn't think that it was going to be in my best interest to have that much pressure on me. And I 100% agreed. And so um, he ended up talking to the College of Medicine. And uh, we came to the conclusion that I would decelerate. I would finish my first semester. So I still had like two finals to take or something like neurology and something else. And um, I was going to take anatomy with the CRNA class, which was not a dissection lab. It was just a lecture lab with a a presected cadaver. And um, and then I was going to do like a lot, a lot of uh, counseling with student academic services, which ended up being the the best thing I could have done. Um, It was really sad. I was not happy having to make the decision. It was a very emotional time for me. It was really hard seeing my friends go into second semester and me not do it, Um, not being included in a lot of stuff within my class and being in Memphis and being like, okay, cool. I'm not near any family. I don't have any friends outside this program. Um, I mean, I ended up making great friends within the CRNA class and they're amazing. So um, that was so fortunate for me. They kind of took me in. Um, And I ended up doing very well in CRNA anatomy. I think that my background at the community college I went to wasn't the greatest for anatomy. So I didn't really have a ton to work with. Um, But also when I was doing all my stuff with student academic services, I uh, realized that I had really bad test anxiety. And coming from a more humanities-based writing background, I was used to having a ton of essay exams. So I didn't really notice that I ever had issues with test taking um, because everything was kind of short answer. It was essays, all that kind of stuff. So um, I also have generalized anxiety disorder. So between those two things, I was able to uh, apply to get extra time. So I did one and a half time for all exams and I was able to take my exams kind of in like a little cubicle in student academic services. And uh, when I started with the next cohort, I had to take any class that I didn't get a like solid B or higher in. So that was like one section of farm, one of the three sections of FISBE did, um, hematology and anatomy. And so not having to take all the classes was really nice for me. I was able to make sure that I was sleeping more and working out and eating <laughs> and having a life and all of that kind of stuff. And that, that helped a lot more for when I came back the second time around. And, um, I mean, going from like not ever passing a practical exam, I was mad when I didn't get an A on my last one the second time around for anatomy. So my grades skyrocketed. It was like a night and day difference. And, um, so I think that was ideal for, uh, the faculty who was like, okay, we're, we're putting the pressure on you. Like you need to deliver if we're going to give this opportunity to you. And it ended up working for the best. And then, uh, my second semester of my second didactic year, um, I ended up getting like the highest GPA of my life, um, (laughs) because most of it was all clinical classes and doing really well in 
fizz and farm and all these things that I didn't think that I was going to do that well in before and getting hundred percent on exams and getting the highest grade in the class on things and being kind of shocked at my performance. So I think it helped my, my confidence a ton going into clinical year two, but that's my saga. <laughs> yeah. So PA school, I mean, it, it is difficult to explain exactly how hard it is until yeah. you're in it. And I think Part of it is the material, part of it's all the material all at once. Part of it is just how quickly things move Mm -hmm. and it's on a whole new level. So that's kind of at the anatomy level, like people, when I'm kind of talking to like one of my best friends who is my medical assistant is in PA school now. And she was funny because before she started, she was like, if one more person tells me it's me drink, like drinking out of a fire hose, like I cannot hear that one more time. <laughs> um, and then like two weeks in, she was like, I understand now. Like this yeah. is not like anything I've ever done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the anatomy, the graduate level anatomy is so different than, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I explained it as like, the structures have structures and those structures have structures. Yeah, and they exactly. They all have a function and like you have to know all of it. And, it and it's just so fast. So, and it's like, so even fast. talking to med students, they had so much more time right. doing anatomy and that was kind of their sole focus. I think that they didn't have like a lot of other classes. Whereas we were taking like five other classes at the same time and condensing everything into much, a much shorter period of time. So it's, having to know the same amount of material doing it faster and having a lot more that you're doing concurrently and I think that that's something that no one really prepares you for and people can tell you that until you're blue in the face but until you're actually experiencing it you really don't understand the magnitude right and that that's what it comes down to and and you're I mean surrounded by people who are in the same situation and kind of everyone's trying to make it but also trying to not freak out and yeah it's, it's a lot I I mean I tend to be probably err on the side of being an anxious person um which I think has gotten better with time surprisingly for some <laughs> reason um but I kind of thinking back I would say my experience was kind of similar, but I experienced that in my undergrad chemistry at UGA. Mm-hmm. I was in a 300 person class. Our tests were on a computer and they would essentially, you'd answer your questions and then you'd submit your test and it was all timed and it would pop up and the ones you got wrong were red and the ones you got right were green. Oh, and then you got to retry the red ones for like, 75% yeah and then you got to do it again for half credit and so I mean for me I mean I those days of tests like I could not eat I yeah. was like shaking before I went in I left every test crying like that was not good for me and looking yeah, back sure. I'm kind of like if I just hadn't have been so stressed out about it and so worried would I have actually done better Better. like like now if I went like would it actually be interesting and I would learn it because my husband he loves chemistry like he thinks it's so interesting whereas I'm like I just don't feel like my dad is like that too and I'm always like who are you (laughs) right what a weird person Um, are you like people tell me they're a chem major and I'm like why um but for those people great good for you um yeah if you're a chem major (laughs) mazel tov but uh, not for me no um and so yeah so I actually failed my first farm test which we had to have a 75 to pass and I got like a 74 or 73 yeah it was like super close but it was 
it was very eye-opening because also being a type A person, I'm sitting there going, what did I do wrong? What can I fix? Why did this mm-hmm. happen? Um, but it's it's kind of disheartening um, to be in that position because you are used to doing really well. And then yeah. you're, you're doing this thing that you're actually passionate about and really excited about. And so to, to feel like you're not doing it as well as you should be is kind of it's yeah. difficult. I, I think that's also why I was fairly verbal about my struggles when I was in PA school because there would be exams where other people would fail too. And I wanted to let them know that like, it wasn't just them, like it's me too. Or even exams where like in clinical medicine courses where I did well and like one of my friends would fail, I was like, okay, well let's like figure out like, do you want me to study with you? Like I'll help you prepare for like the remediation. I'll help you prepare for the next test. Like let's figure out like what went wrong because I didn't want people to think that it's just, just them because I've been that person and it, it sucks. It's not a fun position to be in. So, um, kind of knowing that it's not just you and that everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses, like things that I thought were so easy were very difficult for other people and things that I thought were horrifically difficult just came so naturally to other people. So, I mean, once you, especially in my program where it's not competitive, um, cause we're not ranked or anything. Um, once everyone kind of realized that like, you just need to pass to graduate, <laughs> um, I think people kind of dropped their guard a little bit and kind of dropped any air of, oh, I can totally handle this. And yeah. Got a lot more real. And it, it bonds you as a cohort and it bonds you with your friends. And um, and it's helpful to know that other people are struggling too and it's not just you. And and then also like learning, being told from the beginning from uh, the tutor we had who was one of the smartest people I know. He actually uh, runs a medical review podcast and like genius level human being um having him tell me in the beginning oh you need to take at least one day off a week and like not study and do anything and I looked at him like he had five heads I was like are you on no drugs? like <laughs> yeah. what is going on and so my first time around I didn't do that at all and I was so burnt out so quickly mm-hmm. that I wasn't retaining anything I was staying up super late but I wasn't retaining anything and so the second time around I really made a concerted effort to have at least a day that was just for me, even if it was like, I just watched Netflix in my apartment or something and like had a glass of wine. Um, that was fine for me as long as I wasn't studying. And then I also decided to not study in my apartment. And I think that was a really, really monumental change for me. Um, because I was no longer stressed in my sleeping environment and it helped me sleep a lot better. And so when I got to my apartment, that was where I could just chill and relax as opposed to that's also where I study. That's also where I stress out. Yeah. So having it be like when I come home, it's done as opposed to I have more to do when I come home was a big change I made from my first time around to my second. And it was definitely for the better. Those are really good tips. How many people were in your class? Um, we started with 30 and uh, we graduated with 29. Okay, so that's a pretty small class. Yeah, it's a small yeah, class. That's a little so small. you know everybody. Everybody knows you. Yeah. Um, my faculty was a super familial atmosphere. I mean, very Southern. And uh, they they knew I didn't have any family nearby. And they were one of those programs where when they say it's an open door policy, like it is literal. If the door is open, you can come in. And I, I did that many, many times. Sometimes just for validation. Sometimes to cry. And sometimes like just because I 
wanted to talk to somebody. Yeah. And also, like, when you don't have any family, they're your surrogate family. So, uh, I mean, I cried when I left to go to my clinical year because my clinicals were in Nashville, and that's, like, a three-and-a-half-hour drive away from Memphis. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do without these people here all the time for me? Um, and, I mean, saying goodbye when I graduated was was hard to just because these are the people that have seen you at your highest high and your lowest low. And now you finally have achieved something and you're leaving that and that comfort zone. So, um, I mean, I think that's something that people should really consider when they interview at programs, kind of seeing what that dynamic is like with faculty, because I definitely wouldn't have been able to make it through without having my faculty be as supportive as they were and having them really tell me how much they believed in me and when I just wanted validation for doing well, they were like, but we knew you would, which <laughs> yeah. is like the most frustrating thing to hear because my dad would do that too. Yeah. Like, well, we expected you to do well. And I was like, well, what happened if I hadn't done well? You expected <laughs> me to do well and I didn't do well? Yeah. But um, I mean, once you do well, it's nice to have people say they expected it. Yeah. I, I had a great advisor who I just, I, like I, like that, I would just go talk to her. Like I just really liked <laughs> her and um, I thought, I I respected her and respected her advice and felt like I could talk to her at any time. And that was very, very important to me as well. Yeah. I never felt like I was a burden. Right. And that I think is important to not feel like you're a burden. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, for the most part, I hear that about programs, but sometimes you hear the, hear the opposite. Um, yeah. So at any point, did you think about just giving up or was that not an option? No, (laughs) Um, because this is already my plan B career. And I remember telling my parents, like, there's no plan C. So if this doesn't work, then like, I have honestly no idea what I'm doing next. So not having it work out is not an option. Um, So I think that being able to get a lot of the the mental aspect out of the way um, in that semester that I took off, just because I only was taking one class, I think it was like two days a week. for like two hours or something. So having such little class time that I actually had to spend um, meant that I was going to like student academic services like three to four times a week with my counselor. And I did EMDR for like the PTSD basically that I experienced from my first semester of PA school um, and all of the pressure that was on me and to kind of just like develop better coping skills to handle that anxiety, to handle that pressure and um, kind of continuing that into my next, uh, or my next didactic year. And then also my next didactic year, I found like two really great friends where we figured out the best way to study together. Even if it wasn't talking, it was having that accountability of, Hey, we're going to meet at this place at this time. And we're going to get this much done. And we're going to go over this lecture by ourselves in an hour. We're going to discuss it. And we would make up like the weirdest, like stories to remember stuff where they took their exams in student academic services too. And like, we'd get to we both, I would tell when they would get to other questions because I kind of hear them like sort of giggle and I would do the same thing. I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I remember the story. Like I know the answer before I even finish the question. So it was nice to kind of like share in those victories with your friends too. Yeah, for sure. How did these, this experience translate into clinical year? Um, I, I knew kind of, and I'd been told a lot that like clinical year was where I was going to shine just because I'm a talker, I'm a people person, that kind of thing. Um, But I didn't, I guess I didn't really know the magnitude of it until I was in it. Um, My first EOR was rough. Um, I failed my first EOR, but 
I think a lot of that was I just didn't really understand what to expect out yeah. of EORs. Um, I think not really talking to anyone the year above me about what the EORs entailed because we took the PIEA ones. Um, not really knowing that it was a lot of like secondary and tertiary type of questions. Some, some of that, that kind of very difficult. We did those yeah. started right after I graduated. Praise the Lord. Um, but yeah, I've I've heard that they are they're tough. Very difficult, um, yeah. But also finding the right resources, um, yeah. that was helpful and not over-resourcing. Because I think I kind of did that a little bit in didactic. I over-resourced a bit. Um, but I think I I really learned how to figure out through the NCAA uh, and the NCCPA. Sorry, I've been watching a lot of NCAA things with like yeah. all the cancellations like and stuff. On. I'm a big I'm a big NCAA gymnastics <laughs> fan and like they canceled the season. And I'm, canceled like, everything. Yeah. So, um, but going through the NCCPA blueprint and being able to kind of pick out what stuff I I basically felt comfortable with and what stuff I didn't feel comfortable with, knowing in my downtime that I could ask my preceptors that um, was nice. And in Nashville, that's it's different than uh, the other locations that my program does uh, because we're the only uh, state-run PA program in Tennessee. So they have people in Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, and Chattanooga um, so we kind of have visibility throughout the state. Um, Nashville is the only one where you are primarily outpatient and you're almost always the only student. Nice. So um, I felt very comfortable asking questions um, and being able to discuss topics with my preceptors and learning how to kind of study on the fly, like whenever you have spare moment, study, that kind of thing. Um, but also kind of just translating what you see every day into what you see in test questions. And I mean, that helps me a lot in pants as well. But um, I think having a really good second go around of the didactic here gave me that confidence to be like, okay, I am smart enough. Um, I feel like I don't remember anything, but I'm capable of learning it. <laughs> and then having preceptors ask me questions and me answer them correctly before I really like processed what the question was. And I'd be like, where did that come from? Like, yeah. okay, like I know things, like this is yeah. cool. <laughs> Hopefully it sticks. Mine's all gone. Um, yeah, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was your favorite and least favorite rotation? My favorite rotation was peds, hand down, hands down. Um, a close second was outpatient neurology, but um, I'm looking for jobs in peds. So if anyone lives in Chicago and they want to hire a peds <laughs> PA, uh, I'm here. Um, I loved outpatient peds. I love developmental milestones. Um, I think kids think I'm one of them. Like I'm barely five feet tall and um, in clinic, I wear glasses, so I think that they can, like, see the reflection, too. <laughs> so um, they're big fans. I mean, that two- to three-year-old boy age range, like, they loved me. So they're my my biggest fans. Um, I just, like, really enjoyed my outpatient peds rotation. I think having a great preceptor for that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, least favorite, I didn't – I wasn't a huge fan of my ER rotation. I didn't get to see a ton. Um, and – when I did my night shifts, I was with a PA who really didn't want students. And, um, I understood that vibe very quickly. There were days where she didn't acknowledge me for like two to three hours. I didn't have access to their EMR. So she would go see patients and I wouldn't know what room she was going to. I wasn't able to see labs. I wasn't able to see films. I wasn't able to see anything. So I was kind of like a glorified scribe for a day or two. And so like my third day going into it, um, I mean, she'd ask me to go home early a lot and I was like, nope, I, you never know what you'll see. So I'll stay until I'm supposed to stay. And I made sure I left after her every day. So I didn't want her to kind of have that be something she could 
say I did wrong or something like that. Um, but my like last day and nights with her, I went to a, a physician and I asked him if I could just be with him for the night. So I think that that taught me like you really need to advocate for your own education. I'm paying to be there. I was paying an out-of-state tuition to be there. I deserve to learn. And that's not an outrageous request. So I think kind of being respectful, but but also knowing like that this is something that you need. Um, I mean, it also kind of sucked that I was in like super rural ER, so I didn't really see much anyway. And it was like in February, so it was the height of like flu season. Um, that kind of didn't help either, but... Um, I think being able to like learn that I could, I could manage to be respectful without compromising my education was, was ideal. Um, I also just like, I don't like in inpatient medicine. So I didn't love my second internal medicine rotation, even though Vanderbilt's great, loved being at Vanderbilt, loved the PAs I was with, but there just wasn't a ton to see. We were like kind of a step down, um, unit from the ER. So it was a lot of fairly basic stuff or people just in a bed waiting to get admitted. So I didn't really get to do much a lot of those days. But again, I, that, I took that opportunity to find um, one of the docs in most of the IR stuff and told her if she ever had cool procedures to come find me. And if I was sitting in a specific room, it meant I wasn't seeing patients. So grab me and I'll go do stuff with you. And I got to do a lot more stuff than I anticipated as a result. Um, and then I loved my outpatient neuro elective my preceptor was only a couple years older than me. So he kind of just like treated me like a little sister and kind of just made fun of me the whole time. <laughs> but, um, that made it really fun. And, um, it was one of those things where I, again, didn't really know how much I retained until we were talking about it. And it didn't feel like learning because we were enjoying ourselves so much and we were joking and I was having a blast and having fun with the patients. And, um, so, I mean, those kinds of rotations where you kind of just feel at home are are ideal in my opinion. Oh, I agree. So much of it is is where you're at and who you're with. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that can make or break a, a rotation yeah. for sure. So, yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. Well, hopefully you find your dream peds job. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, this is, like, the worst time, I feel like, to be trying to find jobs. There's I have really bad timing. <laughs> I graduated from college at the height of the economic decline, and, like, now COVID-19 is here to ruin my life. So. Right. Maybe it'll be and everybody else is <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, well, where can everyone find you and kind of follow along if you um, want to? So <laughs> um, at Taylor Anderson eighty seven on Instagram okay. um, and then at T Anderson eighty seven on Twitter um, and then also I did a podcast in late December with my program director for his podcast, which is called Pain Podcast, and that kind of goes more in depth with like clinical year and all okay. that kind of stuff. And that was right before I took pants, so. Um, that's always a good one to listen to. And he's also an amazing resource. So yeah, between him and like my good friend who has a podcast called, uh, Ian board bomb, Ian board bombs, uh, follow it. His name's Blake Briggs, finishing residency Wake forest. Shout out (laughs) to him. Um, those were like such great resources. And then obviously like smarty pants and you, I listened (laughs) to you a ton in the car. Um, so it was like very helpful to be able to have those kinds of resources to listen to when you're commuting because uh, it's a deal. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll link to all of that in the description so everybody can Great. kind of find those resources. Well, thank you so much. And if any pre-PAs or PA students ever have questions, like shoot me a DM. I'm okay. totally responsive to anything. And um, I mean, you can ask people who are in my current 
PA programs, second year class, I would spend like two hours on the phone with people before interviews, just telling them about the program because I just enjoyed it that much. Um, so yeah, let me know if you guys have any questions and I'd be happy to talk about things in more detail. I'm, sh- I'm sure they will. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Clearly I'm a chatter. So. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll stop the official recording. Okay. <laughs> No, you'll get questions. 